0: I just want to go back to my room. Why? Well, I'm very confused. I just need some time to think things over. You've had your whole effing life think things over. What's a few minutes going to do you now? Please don't hurt me. I'm not going to hurt you. Stay away from me, darling. Light of my life, I'm not going to hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. Gonna bash him right the ass in! I think you know what it, that is. Yeah,
1: I know. As I watched it, uh, just a few hours ago. Yeah, um, actually... from... <laughs> Okay. <laughs>
0: this
1: is from a very, um, iconic movie and a very iconic role for the main actor. Um, here's Johnny. Yeah,
0: that's from um, The Shining. Uh, and that's how we kick off, uh, Halloween movie season here with the Average Joe's uh, Movie Club cast. Uh, welcome. I'm Justin.
1: And I'm Joey.
0: Yeah, I actually picked that before you had let me know earlier today that you had already seen it. I'm like, huh, do I want to change it? And then I'll, I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> I really wanted to to read that line. Hopefully you snickering in the middle didn't pick up too much.
1: <laughs> Sorry, it was too good. You started reading it and I just... I I figured you had because uh you know, I knew you were picking it up on four K and then my roommate went and picking it up on four K and so
0: Yeah, I'm not sure when I'm gonna watch it all the way through again. I just watched it a few months ago. Um but man, that's just one every time you go to. It just it just sucks you right in and mm, it's good stuff. Anyway, tonight on uh the Average Joe's Movie Club cast, our movie club pick is Director Brian De Palma's *Get in Touchables* from 1987, and the classic college football inspirational show *Rudy*, starring Sean Astin from 1993. Just a heads up: we do discuss all our thoughts on films in full detail. So if there's something you haven't seen, just skip for a little while to uh, a little bit to avoid spoilers. I know Joey goes into the YouTube episodes at least and time timecodes um, our main um, movies. So you can look for that there, and also if you want to be a part of the club, follow us. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you know when those episodes drop. So, how's life, Joey?
1: Life has been uh, life has been pretty busy. Um, just a lot of stuff going on as usual. So, um, a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of games. <laughs> um, you know, the
0: usual. So. Did you have an update on, you said there might be some new kind of content coming to the channel soon in terms of you uh, gaming with some folks?
1: Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, we were supposed to record that originally Thursday. It's now going to be this coming Sunday. We're going to record it. So hopefully then sometime, I guess, next week. Um. So today's the first we're recording this, so maybe... Around the ninth or the tenth, I'm guessing, but um, what it is is anybody who's friends with me on Facebook has seen me sharing it for the channel Toxic Story, which is one of my co workers. He's been doing a lot of let's plays for uh, games like Astral Chain and Borderlands 3, which are of course a couple of big titles that just came out. And there's gonna be another uh, gentleman who's one of his friends who has a channel as well. i don't know the name of that um, currently, so I do apologize, but um. I think we're just gonna be sitting around and gaming and talking about some different stuff and uh, I think the idea is we're gonna share it between the three channels so when I know some more about that um, I'll let you guys know or we'll post it up um, and you know you'll see uh, there'll actually probably be a video um, so you know you to see my wonderful mug um, <laughs> And uh, see uh, see me suck at gaming as much as I do. I should be better, but you'll see me suck probably. I'm not sure what we're gonna play. We haven't fully finished, figured that out yet. Um, it might be might be Borderlands 3. It might be Gears 5. Um, some of the the bigger stuff. It might be Smash, in which case you will really see me suck. But <laughs> <laughs> who's so. your character on there? Um, on the I haven't played the 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 Switch one a lot. But uh it probably would be some of the Fire Emblem characters, you know, Roy or Marks, um also really like uh just kinda mess around with Pac-Man, he's fun. Um, or um Little Mac. Um I mean no no recovery or anything. And then but my main character is Zero Suit, because um, she's she's a badass. So
0: yeah, all the way dating back to the N64 days, I was always a big Yoshi fan. I always liked to get next to the edge and spit the, the old tongue out and poop people off the, the side of the, the structure. So that was my go-to move, and I love the big Yoshi drop. drop. Uh, my son's, like, obsessed with this game now, and he runs all these huge characters like uh, King DDD is what he calls them. Um,
1: yeah, King DDD dad, from
0: uh... Kirby, right? Yeah, from Kirby, yeah. So he's into all the different characters. Like, yeah, pick different characters. I'm like, no, I'm good with Yoshi. I like my Yoshi drop. Actually, there's a game that came out a few, um, a few years ago, uh, Kung Fu Panda 3 for PlayStation. That kind of had the same feel as Smash Brothers. We enjoyed playing that. Um, yeah.
1: Oh man, if we were still playing PS3, it'd be really cool to like go back and do like PlayStation All Stars and be like Kratos and that kind of stuff. But they never really like, made a sequel to that one; it just never took off. But I mean, it was the same. It was the same thing. It was Smash Brothers, but with PlayStation characters. Um, okay. So it was, it was fun to play as Kratos and just mess people up.
0: And you also have a up on a few new platforms um, since we last talked, I think. Um, I think since the last time we talked, it's still just the same ones.
1: I haven't managed to be able to get us onto like Stitcher and stuff, but um it, it we have now actually officially hit iHeartRadio and Apple um music. Um so we are there and still um on Spotify and of course the YouTube channel. So we're all on those platforms. Um I just haven't had the time unfortunately um to go and do stitcher or google yet but that is the plan so hopefully in the next couple of weeks i'll move us onto those platforms but i got the it took iHeartRadio radio a long time um i just don't know what they're, they're what they do to go through to make that happen i actually got the email for them yesterday i believe it was and i confirmed it uh earlier today so we are on there and then I know uh, one of my friends, like all he uses is Apple and he uh, checked it out and listened to, went back and listened to our first episode while he was driving to Columbia or something. So
0: yeah, I used to, um, so I had just recently got like unlimited data on my phone. So like I actually dropped my YouTube premium and like, I kind of forgot how, uh, much like traditional YouTube kind of sucks because you get like all the ads. And um, you can't download and you can't listen to videos in the background. So I'm kind of regretting the fact that I um, dropped my YouTube premium. It makes it a little bit harder to listen on there. Um, so I might actually have to find this on one. Because I use the Podcast ad, uh, podcast Addict app. Uh, hopefully I can find this on there all right. And, um, you know, see how those episodes are updating. But, um, yeah, traditional YouTube, not as uh, friendly with um Listening to stuff on the go.
1: Yeah, I'm. Um, actually, I'm on Toxic Stories uh, YouTube Premium, and uh, being able to just hit the premium and, you know, close your phone is is really awesome. Um, yeah. we're also on Buzzsprout. I did forget to mention that it is another platform. Um, which is the the way we were actually able to get onto some of those other platforms. It's kind of a uh, it's
0: where you sprout off to everything else.
1: Ha <laughs> ha. See what
0: they did there. So. And if you follow us on uh, like Letterboxd or uh, Twitter or so forth, uh, you probably noticed that our new um, logos have come up. Um, yeah. And I think we both did a uh, matching uh, Letterboxd profile pictures with our Average Joe's caric- caricatures on there. So that's pretty sweet. And so I had told you earlier in the week that I had uh, finally caved to the Letterboxd algorithm and, um, so I went through there last week, and I went through every single person that I followed. And if that person hadn't been using Letterboxd for a year to, let's say, like six months, I went ahead and unfollowed them. I figured they probably won't notice um, to begin with because they're not using it. They haven't used it in six months. Why would they start using it again now? And so that that was about, like, 200 to 250 people. And sure enough, as soon as I stopped following people, all all of a sudden I ended up in, like, I think I'm on page like 10 to 14 on like the all time letterbox user list. So that's kind of cool to be noticed there. Um, I haven't seen a tremendous uptick in people following me, but it is nice to kind of be recognized the fact that, you know, I do post so much and to be somewhere on the list where whenever I, because initially my, um, uh, my way of doing it was just to be completely even. Like I follow as many people. As follow me, but doing it that way, you just don't get any recognition from the the app in terms of you being there and being somewhat popular. I got you. Yeah, I I started going through like we were talking about and not
1: like cleaning up, you know, because I have uh like I think it's let me see, it's a hundred and like forty. Not quite, but like 140 more people that I'm following that aren't following me, and I was cleaning up. It was it was a lot more. I just haven't had a chance to go through and figure that out. But as I was cleaning it up, it was like more people were, had started following me, so I cleaned that up a little bit. But just trying to get it back even or not as not as uh,
0: you
1: know skewed to one way or the other.
0: Yeah, I remember it was about a year and a half ago where I kind of figured out, like, oh, you know, I'm figuring out, I'm, like, following, like, hundreds more people than are actually following me, and so I went through it and unfollowed people that weren't actually following me back. Um, that's why I actually don't follow some of the biggest users on Letterboxd because I, I'm all about, I mean, yeah, I have the, that chunk of people that are following me, and I'm not following them back now, but it's because they're pretty much dead accounts. So that, at least I have, I stick to that, but... um yeah, if anybody follows me on Letterboxd, I definitely follow them back and uh, like their posts. Uh, don't get to read everything in great detail, but uh, if, if you make an effort to write something um, you know, pretty decent about a film, I'd try to check that out and give you a like, because likes are free, and I don't see and, uh, well, any problem with liking a bunch of this stuff. I, got, I think I got like 80,000 likes on there just because I made a practice of liking so much, but yeah, like I said, likes are free. That's true. All right. So, um, yeah, gearing up for the big uh, Halloween movie season, uh, which is interesting. I got my big old list there on Letterboxd that I'll be following and probably swapping three or four times a day, just depending on my mood. Um, some of the big titles that I'm looking forward to catching this uh, year. Um, caught a lot of, like, the the original um, slashers last year for the first time, like Friday the 13th and um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Some of the big ones I'm planning on getting to early on would be like Cabin in the Woods. I haven't seen that. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original one. Uh, Train to Busan, and um, I promised a uh, letterbox friend that I would watch American Psycho again, so I'm going to get into that.
1: Uh, Train to Busan is so good. That was actually in my top ten, top ten of my movies for this year for a long time. Um, it is a really good movie.
0: And if you follow me uh, pretty closely on Letterboxd, you know that I do like to mix in Criterion's every other movie. Now, I watched a lot of the big hitter horror Criterion's last year, so I'm kind of getting towards, like, the bottom of the barrel. Uh, Not to say that these movies are lousy. It's just I don't quite feel as compelled to watch them. I got, like, Carnival of Souls, Island of Lost Souls, and Haxan coming up. So, but, uh, yeah, this is, like, I don't traditionally watch horror movies all that often, so it is kind of fun to get into Halloween season and be really like, kind of have that excuse to uh, watch as many as possible and take in a lot of the classics and um, get some of the Criterion ones in there as well. Um, Yeah, I'm kind of of a little let down this evening. Uh, My son lost his first fall ball game of the season. He had some close ones, but this... Tonight we got pretty wiped out. He made actually his best hit of the season so far, and he made a pretty heads-up play by catching a ball at third and throwing it to home plate and getting somebody out, so that was pretty sweet. But overall, the team was a little lousy tonight, so that was a bummer. And my Vikings blew the big one um, on primetime TV on Sunday, and it reminds me why I've shifted my focus in watching more movies and less football because there's less disappointment that way, I found.
1: Hmm.
0: Some good. Uh, I'm sorry. Who
1: who the Vikings lose to? Uh,
0: it was a pretty low scoring game affair against the Bears, but we couldn't do anything. We were just getting sacked and sacked, and it was it was awful. Very painful game to watch. What the? the mm. Did you watch? Did you watch Cowboys? Um, Saints? No, I was I was working Sunday, and
1: then um, I did. Something I don't even know. I no I didn't I didn't see it I know they lost I know the, you know the Saints don't have Drew Brees they got Jacoby Brissett and I know we lost to them so it was I was more interested in the the, the two point stand against the Tar Heels on Saturday
0: yeah um, I was about to
1: bring that up next so yeah maybe 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 the maybe the offense and the boys will get it and get it in gear. They did lose the number one ranking in the AP poll, which, you know, this early in the season is kind of irrelevant. Um, So, but, you know, they give it to Bama and, you know, Bama hadn't really played anybody. So,
0: whatever. Oh, it doesn't matter. It'll all shake out at the end of the season and the top teams will be there as long mm. as they're not somebody on the rise that are going to get shut out.
1: I mean, I mean, part of me, you know, we we want Bama like every year at this point. That's the big rivalry. But there's a the part of me that just wants like I want LSU to like stomp the dog shit out of Alabama, and then like Auburn to stomp them, and then them not getting the title game, or them getting the title game with two losses and Georgia beat them, and there's three losses, and there is no way they can get in the playoffs, and I can just laugh at them. That would be that would be great because like screw you, Nick Satan. Um, All right. But it's kinda nice
0: to see uh South Carolina show up against Kentucky. Um yeah, they yeah you guys them were struggled
1: within the last few years.
0: Yeah, um yeah, they have been losing to Kentucky recently, um, and then it's been kind of a lousy year with us barely losing to the Tar Heels, and then getting, you know, sweeped up by Alabama and Missouri. But then uh, no, they they had a stand against Kentucky, so yeah, it's just kinda of look for good games. Definitely know that they're not gonna do anything crazy. Hopefully, they'll get the belt full. We'll see.
1: Get rid of Must Champ. <laughs> I mean, as two. Carl, my roommate, <laughs> who's a Florida fan, can attest, Must Champ is uh, a plague—a plague on all your all your houses. Oh, uh,
0: okay. All right. Well, let's talk some uh, more movies. So now it's time to get back into our the good, the bad, and the ugly uh, segment, where we talk about our own spin on that classic term, um, with some of the movies we've watched recently. So I have the fun, the ugly, and the great. Um, what do you want to hear about first?
1: Mm, Let's go with the ugly. All
0: right, so I popped up on the Criterion channel a couple nights ago, and, um, I saw this film from um, Soderbergh called Schizopolis, and what brought this kind of my my attention is I saw a meme on one of these Facebook movie groups that I follow, and it was saying something like, um, "What is a social commentary movie?" and it like pointed to like American Beauty and, I forget what the other one was, maybe The Matrix, and said, "No, a real one." And it was like the next one was like Office Space. They're like, no, we mean a real one and then like Schizopolis was like their like one they're pointing to and I think they were like mocking criterion fans. And so I was like, Oh, so this is an interesting social commentary, so I will uh, check it out and oh my gosh, this movie was a complete mess. Um typically I um feel pretty comfortable diving into Soderbergh movies um, you know, he's a pretty acclaimed director and has done a lot of good stuff, but gosh, I do I even recall enough? Do I even remember enough of this movie? Um, it's, it's pretentious enough to start off by saying you will probably not understand what's about to happen in this film, and that's your fault. You need to keep watching it until you do. But sorry, this movie would not capture my attention enough to even want to bother watching it again. Um, there's some fun stuff like to do with like workplace humor and like relationship humor, and then but let's Halfway through, the main character just all of a sudden becomes a dentist. And it's just all over the place and a complete mess and not that funny. So, Kitsopolis is not a fan. Okay.
1: Um, I'm going to go with the disappointing. Okay. The... Let's see. Disappointing, fun, and way more fun
0: okay let's start with way more
1: fun way more fun all right well this is one i watched earlier today um and this was uh robert rodriguez's planet terror okay um which of course i saw in theaters a long time ago and i've owned and stuff but i haven't i haven't watched it in a a long ass time and i just really just forgot just how much blood and gore and just kind of like gratuitous tna even though you know Really not from the main characters in this movie It was more in like the commercials and stuff before it, but just how you know, how much they sexed up um Fergie and the the blonde doctor and then of course Cherry Dal- Cherry Darling and it was just it was just fun I mean it was dumb it was dumb as hell but it was it was just a lot of fun um you know, El Ray I never miss shooting everything and then you know they give give Rose McGowan a freaking machine gun leg and you know she just Shoots grenade launcher, grenades at the grenade launcher, machine gun bullets everywhere. They turn a helicopter vertical and chop zombies up with it. Um, you know, Bruce Willis being Bruce Willis. He got the guy from Lost in it. Um, you got Quentin Tarantino trying to be rapey, but his balls are falling off. Like it's just it's just dumb. It's dumb as hell, but it's fun as hell. So that was that was my way more fun. Oh, and Josh Brolin, like you know, Thanos in the movie, you know, back before he was Thanos.
0: Machete was a uh, trailer in that, right?
1: Yes. Uh, so you had Machete, um, and then you had a uh, Werewolf Woman from the SS, and in Canada you had Hobo with a shotgun, and it also became a movie, and there was another, but you had the Thanksgiving trailer, which was the Eli Roth trailer, and then you had one that was... Uh, that was a zombie, a Rob Zombie trailer that had, um, uh, had his wife in the trailer. And then the, the SS woman from the SS or the, or the werewolf woman from the SS had Nick Cage in the trailer. Um, so yeah, they went, they went a little crazy with some of that, but yeah, Machete became a movie. And then of course, Machete kills, um, you know, Machete don't text. Um,
0: okay.
1: But, and then in Canada, like I said, they got Hogo with a Shotgun, which became a movie, which I never saw. I don't know if the, any of the other ones became movies.
0: Yes, I saw Planet Planetary the one time, but I've seen um, Death Proof several times. Um, yeah, I thought it was all right when I saw it. Um, probably better than I thought it was going to be. Um, I don't know why it is, but we got in the movie theater. I guess I was not really keyed into the fact that I was um, about seeing Tarantino movies in the theater back then, but... Um, you know, people change and get savvier on these things. So, all right, so I have the fun and the great left. i go with fun. So I finally got a chance to see Crawl, which is uh, this uh, alligator hurricane surge movie. And I think from my Letterbox, uh review of it, I said, they're in a crawl space most of the movie, and alligators crawl. You get it? <laughs> um... This movie's a lot of fun. It's pretty bloody. Um, it's kinda of creepy watching uh the chick kind of uh, you know, crawling around this crawl space looking for her dad in the middle of this cat five hurricane that she somehow drove down uh to her house in Florida to go uh check on him. Um yeah, pretty bloody, uh you no know, pretty the CGI um alligators were pretty legit. Um out Like you can tell, like a lot of it was shot on like a green screen, and like the the hurricane weather on the green screen outside didn't look as good. But I mean, it got it got the point across. Um, it is also funny. She is a um a Florida Gators uh, swimmer, so a Gator swimmer swimming against Gators, you get it. Um, and then there's this one point where her leg gets like all torn up, but she somehow manages like speed swim like across this whole area to get to a boat. And two seconds later, they're back in the house. So what was the point of that? Um, it's all fun. It's, uh, it's a crazy little uh, horror, um, you know, crazy animal movie, and yeah, it was a good time. Uh, let's let's. See. You said you have fun left, and what was the other one?
1: Disappointing.
0: Uh, I guess we'll go with the disappointing.
1: All right. So that was brawl in cell block
0: ninety nine. No. What?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, so, send yourself. I know you're in.
1: Okay, so uh, have you did have you seen it, or you just know it from the video that you shared
0: with me? Um, bra and cell block 99. That that was the Vince Vaughn movie that came out last year, right? Uh, I think it was in 2017.
1: But yeah, um, so. I came across this movie because of a video that you shared with me, Justin, uh, about best action movies It was actually a two part video. I think it was Cineflix is the YouTube channel, That, yeah. So it was mentioned up there with the, uh, the realism part of uh, action flicks. So it's stuff like the night comes with us and the raid, which we talked about the raid redemption um, earlier this year in one of our previous episodes. And then um, I have the night comes for us as like my third highest, not highest rated, but my third favorite movie from this year. So I was very intrigued. So I went ahead and watched it. Um, I did think Vince Vaughn at first was going to be an interesting choice. I was kind of confused, but that is a very large man. He's like 6'5 or 6'6. Six, six. And you see a scene early in the movie where he destroys a Mitsubishi eclipse with his bare hands. Um, But he is very mechanical, and I think that was uh, done on purpose, but it was it just felt really off um and there's not a lot of fighting but the fighting is really freaking brutal and you get to like the first scene where he does some fighting and you're like okay he's going to break this guy's arm and when he goes to break the arm you hear the bone crunch but then you you see like half the bone come out it like the gratuitousness of the violence is ridiculous there's a part where he like stomps a dude's head off or like stomps his face into the ground and then drags it and you see the skin rip off and then he flips it over and his whole face is crushed and, like, all of that stuff is gratuitous. So if you want to go in to see some, some people just get fucked up, like, he stomps a dude's head off and down a toilet. um, And, like, I say toilet very loosely. It's a hole in the ground because he's in, a like, a black site prison. Um, that part's all really good. But the movie itself, like, whereas The Raid and The Night Comes for Us, like, are actually pretty decent movies now. This movie is not very good. Like, Jennifer Carpenter is fine. I mean she basically is the same character and everything I've ever seen her as you know Dexter and et cetera. Um but Don Don Johnson was great because he's Don Johnson. Um but the movie itself was just it was just overall very disappointing. Like I just kept kinda waiting for something to be like wow. awesome and it just wasn't. It was just very disappointing. But you know, the the actual brutal violence aspect of it is very brutal and very violent, but it's just it felt like it was over the top to be over the top. Like.
0: Yeah, crazy. that's definitely um the director S uh Craig Zoller's uh style. Um he also did uh Bone Tomahawk, which is kind of the slow burn uh western that kind of gets brutal towards the end. That's a that's a decent I mean that was kind of a weird Western. Like I
1: wasn't expecting um I don't want to say like I guess there weren't supernatural Indians. I guess I wasn't I guess there were cannibals. I was expecting cannibal Indians,
0: or I yeah, guess Native yeah.
1: Americans,
0: um, yeah, but that was a pretty decent Western. <laughs> I definitely didn't come into Phil Brock 99 uh, thinking it was going to be like an all-time great action movie. Um, I just kind of turned it on and watched it with my dad, and uh, I was really impressed with Vince Vaughn's acting in it. Um, I loved the brutality. It felt like a nice journey where you know he got deeper and deeper into this grimy prison system and I I thought it was a great uh, show, um, so. But uh, I I think he came out with a new movie last year called uh, Dragged Across Concrete with uh, Mel Gibson and somebody else. Um, so I've been meaning to watch that, hadn't got around to seeing it quite yet. Uh, who else stars in Dragged Across Concrete? And yeah, his definitely his mo is like brutality. Oh, it's Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson. So. Um, oh, okay. See, I thought I thought he was very, I thought he was very like wooden, like his
1: acting, I and mean, I I understood it was meant, it was intentional that he was kind of very stoic and kind of I guess supposed to be hard, yeah. hardened kind of character. But it just, I don't know, it just didn't seem to work coming from Vince Vaughn to me. Um, but I mean, he was very intimidating because he was so much larger than everybody, and that that part worked. But it just. I don't know, it was just the, the whole movie uh, like overall just it just was a little disappointing. I liked Mark Lucas. Mark Lucas was cool. Um which you know most people probably know as Agent Riley Finn from Buffy, that was cool. Um mm-hmm.
0: so all right, so my great movie, I got a chance to see uh Parasite, which won the uh Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival this year and where do I start with Parasite? Um, it was really great. It's my new second favorite film of the year. Um, Under the Silver Lake is still number one, but this shot just, I was i was kind of torn whether it was going to be Midsummer or a Parasite, and I went ahead with Parasite. It is for a career, um, okay. So you guys know that typically like with subtitle movies, um, okay, I'm setting myself up in a weird position here. So, I don't mind subtitle movies, but generally, I do feel like they're kind of a chore to get through at some points. But man, like the subtitles on Parasite were like "No sweat. This movie just like just un, uh, uh, unravels in such a perfect way that it really draws you into this story. It's this very um, obscure kind of um, unique take on home invasion presence. Um, where, like, this family finds ways to become, like, the helpers for this really rich family, and eventually they all get on board with it, but then they kind of discover that, um, you know, other people um, uh, have found these same, like, susceptibilities with the rich, too, in order to live off them, and that's, I guess, where the whole parasite comes into, where they're, you know, kind of feeding off the rich to, um, you know, in their own ways. uh a lot of great social commentary there um, some interesting things where there's some eavesdropping where they get to hear what their thoughts are, are on them um, without them knowing which kind of gets uh, gets into their um, their gut a little bit and makes them do some crazy stuff towards the end uh, man there's some nice brutal violence in this thing that took me off guard my kind of my favorite kind um, Settled in other moments, but yeah, it was a great, great story, and I definitely recommend checking out Parasite whenever you get the chance. Alright, I'll keep that in mind. And what's your last one? The Last one's fun, just fun? Just fun.
1: Okay. Alright, so we're gonna um this uh Cobra with with Sylvester Stallone. Okay. Yeah, somehow I'd never seen it, but you know, I had wanted to if anybody's ever seen the cover, you know, it's him holding holding up the, I think it's the Mac 10, and he's wearing his uh, his aviators. So you know, just just looking like a cool dude from the 80s. Um, and you know, then he, he's got his regular his regular Glock with the with the pearl handle with the Cobra on it. And he's just he's just a badass. Um, he's got this this car. I don't know exactly what kind of car it is, but he's got it souped up. he it, he's gotten a big switch from the 80s, just nitrous. And I'm like, yo, we're in the Fast and the Furious now. It kind of reminded me of when I watched Lone Wolf McQuaid. Chuck Norris's car had some freaking knots in it, and he drove his uh, – I think it was a blazer. He just drove a blazer out of the grave. But, yeah, he had a souped-up car, and, you know, he had to protect the woman. was the only person that would uh, uh, testify against this, like, cult or whatever. And, you know, he just he just ran around shooting people, and he was the cop that was against the rules and, you know, did things his way and not against the book, you know, that whole, you know, cop movie trope that was, you know, real popular in, like, the 80s and 90s action movies, and uh, so it was just a lot of fun, you know, you know, the plot was thin, but, you know, guns and explosions and et cetera.
0: Very cool. Yeah, I had was not aware of this movie until my buddy Ben uh, actually placed it in my hands uh, one time when he came to visit me uh, during a Thanksgiving weekend, and yeah, we checked it out, and I remember it being very 80s, uh, pretty much just the way you described it there, and yeah, I thought it was a decent time, probably need to revisit it to uh, dig into it a little deeper with my analytical um, mind, but um, cool, I really want to see his over-the-top movie, I've heard that's that's a good time as well, and I haven't seen that. I think I saw that when I was really
1: young. And I just don't remember very much about it, like enough to say anything. Like I, like I've seen that
0: movie, and that's that's <laughs> that's about it. All right. Speaking of my buddy Ben, um, he had given us some listener feedback per usual, and kind of an interesting question. Um, I think we tackled this in one of an earlier episodes, but maybe we can tackle it a different way this time. He was asking how we define blockbusters versus art house or avant-garde cinema. Uh, You know me, I've thrown a lot of art house stuff um, at you along the way here, and we've also watched a few blockbusters, which kind of ties into tonight's episode. So, Joey, uh, why don't you start us off with and talk about how you define blockbusters versus art house stuff.
1: All right, so, I mean, I guess this is kind of a... It should be easy, but I guess at the same time it can be it can be a little a little tricky. I mean, a blockbuster is obviously something you know. You think blockbuster, you know, you think big summer movies, you know, things that are made to make money. So Transformers, Star Wars, um, you know, something like that. Um, you know, the Marvel movies, in game I- anything like that. You know, those big, humongous movies with huge budgets that you know everyone's going to flock out to see. Avatar, Titanic. Um you know, just humongous movies make huge money, have a huge budget, et cetera, et cetera. but you know you can probably get it, you know there are probably some art housey movies that have also become blockbusters along the way just because they they probably have a uh, probably you know kind of straddled that line and I'm probably i'm not really thinking of any um, maybe maybe like Forrest Gump I
0: mean that's kind of a I won't say that's an art house movie, but it's probably kind of. That- I wonder if that actually fell into Oscar bait back in the day, because that's kind of a category in itself, too, is stuff that's kind of generated um kind of out of a factory like a blockbuster, but geared toward, like, the, the more um the awards crowd, critic crowd. I mean, I think that's definitely more of something that happens now where you
1: get movies that are just made to win awards. But, so like, that, if I'm not mistaken, that was the year – was it wasn't that the year where it was it was Pulp, Shawshank, and Forrest Gump in one year. Yep. So it was uh that was kind of a crazy year. Like I'm not, I'm not about to try to say that Pulp Fiction is a uh, an art house movie by any means. No, but definitely, I mean,
0: definitely more art art tour director than art house. Um, although those are synonymous uh, synonymous in many ways. Um. Plus, you hear the term indie get thrown out a lot, which just basically means a low-budget independent movie, but a lot of art house stuff is that, too. So there's a lot of pros um, there, too. And I mean, let's see, I, I think the first artistic movie I think I recall seeing, I think we had this conversation already, was like Fight Club with its big twist, and there's a lot of artistic element to that, too. But that could also be seen as like an underperforming kind of movie that was supposed to be kind of a blockbuster um, I mean, that, I'm pretty sure
1: that is a blockbuster movie. That was a big, big movie, from what I recall. It
0: flopped. It, 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 it was. It's more. I would. I would. I think it's probably more considered as a cult movie because it exploded more on the home video circuit. Okay.
1: Um, I mean, the first movie I remember that was. I remember watching that was was art, like we talked about. I know we talked about this was American Beauty. Right. Um. That,
0: fall, that falls kind of in line with the. the what you were saying earlier with, like, Forrest Gump and, like, more the, um, the, uh, the award winner. Um, I think a lot of art house cinema these days, um, actually kind of flies even further under, like, the mainstream to where it's not even noticed by, like, the Academy. Like, last year, there was a first reform with Ethan Hawke, which was written by the same guy as, like, Taxi Driver, and I guess I would can definitely consider that an art house flick, and, um, it totally flew under the Oscars radar, so you definitely have um either end of that i mean i guess last year like bohemian rhapsody was definitely a blockbuster and that kind of fell in that groove of like oscar um stuff but then you have like you're like fast and the furious and that's definitely like blockbuster and that might get <laughs> nominated for Razzies. and then um you got your extreme art house stuff that'll uh you know maybe they'll get picked up by criterion in a few years or you know get noticed by like 824 um and so, yeah, it's kind of hard. It's it's, it's not easy to put necessarily put these things in definite grooves. I think there's definitely different le- levels of it. Um, I guess I wanted to throw out there the fact that a lot of times art house movies will challenge you where a blockbuster is meant to kind of please you. Like I've kind of come to terms with um, some of these art house movies that it's like they're out to make you upset with them and give you that kind of emotional feel, but in a negative way. And in times, like, I enjoy that. And at times, I'm like, oh, why am I watching this? I hate these people so much, but they're doing a good job of making me hate them. So in a way, that's some artistry. Um, so that are some some other distinctions that come to mind. Um, any final um, thoughts on this topic?
1: I, mean, I would almost like to say that, like, if you go on our Letterbox or go back through and look on the YouTube channel or whichever way you're listening to us now and you look at the movies that are – my or that are Justin's movies that I've been picking or Justin's challenges to me almost all of those are more closely art house movies. And the movies that I picked that Justin's picking from and the movies I've been challenging to are almost more, almost all closely to resemble blockbusters, even um, almost assuredly, even if they are from you know big name directors, either way. Because you know, he's got one on there, like you know, right now from Ridley Scott, he's done some. Some blockbusters, but um, maybe that's more just because it's his intro movie. But you know, I've got you know Spielberg and Clint Eastwood and mm-hmm. you know, different stuff like that. Although I do have Mulholland Drive, and I guess that's probably more of a like an art tour or an art house movie. But Definitely. um, but you know, I'm you know running, you know, stuff from uh oh man uh Coppola and you know just these humongous directors that I just never have seen and. Mm-hmm. So it's just much more blockbustery, and it's, I think it just does a testament to our style, you know. I'm, or you know, I'm picking like culty comedies, you know, when I did um, things in the nature of um, fanboys and that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, and um, I, and I guess a lot of my interest in art house cinema comes from the fact that um, I didn't watch a lot of it growing up, and it wasn't until like a few years ago where I kind of discovered this stuff, and I'm kind of First taking it in, so now I want to take in as much of it as I can. So maybe I felt like I've kind of been raised on blockbusters, and now it's kind of time to venture out. But definitely want to get back to the blockbusters at um at some points along the way. So all with good variety, I suppose. Um, but yeah, that, yeah, that's a great point. Like, let's see some of my challenges. Like, you didn't care for Blue Velvet, which is definitely more arty, or um, like Dogville, definitely arty there, and um. You threw uh, a raid redemption at me. Definitely more of a foreign but uh, blockbuster action there. So um, yeah, I think it's, yeah, nice to have and then, a and variety.
1: And then you and then you threw and like you threw ran at me, which I mean that's definitely like that's definitely like a art house movie, yeah. but it's but it's an epic, it's like an epic war movie. So that's like definitely in my wheelhouse, and that was. Like we talked about last episode, it was just gorgeous. We can talk about that
0: for another like seven episodes. <laughs>
1: oh,
0: yeah, that's a great one. All right, well, see, we're about 40 uh, some minutes into the episode. I guess we'll get to our movie club pick. And this week we are talking about the Untouchables. Um, which is a. Make nice them if day. you got them. <laughs> which is a 1987 American gangster film directed by Brian De Palma, talking about all tour directors, uh, written by David Mamet, which I actually saw his first director debut a few days ago. That was um, House of Games, which that's another story for another day. All right, based on the book of the same name from 1957, the film stars the Boy Scout himself, or the postman himself, or the water wolf guy himself, Kevin Costner, uh, Andy Garcia, uh, Robert De Niro, and Sean Connery. And follows uh, Costner's character, uh, Elliot Ness, as he forms The Untouchables, a team to bring down the infamous gangster Al Capone, played by De Niro, um, to justice during the Prohibition era um, Chicago. Kind of funny. I actually watched um, a really old movie about this same time period called um, Public Enemy just a few weeks ago. So... Um, all right. So Joey, what, how did the Untouchables come on to your movie club list?
1: Um, It's a gangster movie. That's how it came onto my list. Okay. Um, I think we've talked about how much uh, both of us and those like gangster movies. It's one I had never seen. I had heard it was really good. You look at all those names you just listed, um, listed off and it just, it, I had never seen it and I knew if we put it on here, it would, It wouldn't fall through the cracks as it had kept doing, so I knew I would get to to watch it.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right, so I remember watching this uh, back in high school, I think, kind of the early days of DVD. I remember picking this up from, like, FYIE. I thought it had a pretty cool cover there with uh, Robert De Niro as um, uh, Al Capone. And I remember at the time watching it and being like, wow, this is really really Hollywood and I'm not really sure if I really truly understood what that meant uh, back in high school but I do remember having that feeling about it Um, but this time I must say that I did like it significantly more especially towards the end and I especially like the fact that I've seen a lot more of Brian De Palma in the last uh, two years and I was picking up on some of his stylistic characteristics especially some of the ones that I really enjoy and how he kind of spiced up the story the Palma has a cheese factor to him, and um, I know whenever I write up my Letterbox review on this, um, I'll say that this is his Prohibition-era gangster film soaked in blood and cheese. <laughs> um, so just to run off a few of my uh, outlier thoughts real quick before I give you a chance to give your first impressions. Um, so yeah, I found this to be, um, there's so many of this Hollywood camp factor going on here, and... Um, I know De Palma does this in other films, but it really felt like kind of dialed up to 11. Um, but at the same time, he does offer up this really gritty, brutal violence to kind of contrast that. So it's kind of this interesting mix of very kind of, like I said, cheesy but bloody, and it's 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 an interesting combination, and it and it kind of works pretty well with this story in terms of like Kevin Costner being like this uh, this Boy Scout like. I don't, I don't care if I believe in drinking or not. Prohibition is the, the, the lay of the land, the law of the land. And when it's, when the law's in my hands, we're going to go against the bootleggers. And, um, but then you have a Capone smashing guys' heads and, um, at a table and like causing blood to like fly across and hit other people in the face and then spew all over the table. And you're like, yeah, that's pretty badass. <laughs> so, um, there's this interesting contrast going there for sure. Um, but, uh, Joey, what say you on your early impressions of um, A Touchable, as I recall you saying you really enjoyed it?
1: Oh, yeah, no, this movie was, this movie was fantastic. Um, so, any movie with a cast that's good, like, unless they're just in their Nick, Nick Cage level hamming it up is, is going to be fantastic, and sorry, Nick Cage, but sometimes you just ham shit up. Um, but, so, Sean Connery, like, this was his movie. Like Kevin Coster's the main guy. This was this was Sean Connery's movie. He he took this movie over. And the like fifteen or twenty total minutes of screen time that Bob De Niro was on this movie, he also took it over. He was every time he was on screen, it was it was crazy. You could just see like him using so he's a gangster guy. We know he's a gangster guy. And even though, you know, this was before Goodfellas and different stuff, you could see he's a gangster guy. Him playing Al Capone, I can't think of a role that is more fitting for someone. It's like, he's Al Capone. Like, that's, that's just, boom, that's, that's right. And everything where he's talking to the press and the media, it just made me think of, like you know, just using it using the media to his to to his benefit. It made me think of that scene from the end of um the Boondock Saints, um where they um where uh Yakoveta is talking in the courtroom and they're like, he's Hoffa, he's gonna walk. He you know he's so charismatic, and that's what that kind of reminded me of. He was basically everyone knew he was a bad guy, everyone knew he was a gangster, but he had everyone on his side before, you know, he you know, saw, you know, at the end where he bought everybody. But the other thing, my very, very early immediate reaction to this movie was that we watched this movie a few weeks ago, or a couple months ago, by a different name. That name of that movie was Gangster Squad.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah, a little bit in terms of um, yeah, just being L.A. compared to Chicago. Yeah, I can see where you're getting at <laughs> yeah, in yep. terms
1: of like the corrupt corrupt cops, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, got got to go in and take down the big gangster. Uh, cops go in, they form a form a team, a crack team. They got the crack shot. It's a bunch of misfits, you know. And, but I was just like, yep, this all seems really, really familiar. Um, so mm-hmm. that's cool.
0: Um, I kind of disagree with you. I think this is definitely a uh, Costner's uh, show through and through. Um, with him being the main character there, and then all of a sudden you got Sean Connery there, and... Oh, I mean, it was like, definitely... Yeah. Go
1: ahead. It's definitely Costner's show, but, like, it's definitely is the main character, but there was a reason Connery won Best Supporting Actor. Like, he stole the show. He was Sean Connery. Like, he was just... He just... I don't know. He just shine really bright. Like, like mm-hmm. all... Like Sean Connery, Kevin Costner, and Bob Beniro, his very limited screen time, just, just all of them, just—it shined. Like the acting was so bright, it was, it was crazy good.
0: Um, I, yeah, I had no idea that he won an Oscar for this at first. It's, I wanted
1: to say the only Oscar, for my understanding.
0: Okay. Um, at first, I wanted to say he kind of like stuck out. Um, he felt out of place. But then I was watching it back through, and I would say. He's just definitely kind of hamming it up in what he's doing with his his various, he's he's, he's supposed to be Irish, right, I think, Um, and he's like, he definitely brings it, like, where Costner's kind of the Boy Scout character, definitely wants to play by the rules, Uh, Connery is more of like, do whatever it takes to get the job done, and he kind of brings a lot of the cussing into it, so there, at first this movie doesn't feel like it's uh, rated R, but then, like, Connery starts um, dropping some F-bombs. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, this is definitely rated R. And then De Palma starts spraying blood everywhere. Oh, yeah, this is definitely rated um, kind R. Of, did you notice his uh, – F- did you think his ethnic slurs were a little um, forced? Or did, did you just buy that character 100%? I mean, it,
1: it for, for the time period, like, it made a lot of sense. Or he just starts calling everybody the daigos. Oh, I think it wow. was the one he used.
0: I remember yeah, WAP think- Wop, Wop, Wop a lot. Um, I mean, not. I mean, I definitely agree that in the historical context, those would definitely be um, terms that would be used. It's just, it, you just, I don't know, they just kind of felt like they were dropped out of nowhere just to kind of make it a little more edgy sounding. That's um, kind of what I was just getting at with it.
1: I mean, I don't, I didn't pick it up that it was just dropped in there to, to seem more edgy. I mean,
0: maybe it was, but it just,
1: you know, he was, an old man, and this was, you know, in the 30s, so he would have grown up in the 1800s, and you know, it was Irish to Italian, like definitely feel like they would have been, you know, calling people by those ethnic slurs. Like the one I remember is when he was chasing the man out with a knife, and he was like, "Get out of here, you you diego," and then you know, the other guy, the man in the white hat, just you know, murders him with a Tommy gun. Um, was the big one I I remembered him saying. Um.
0: So. And I guess it's it's probably good to get to the premise of the movie. The fact that it's called The Untouchables because he does put together this team of like pure cops, essentially that are um, out to uh, take down Capone, who has pretty much corrupted the entire police force. I mean, you have the interesting scene where uh, Connery's friend is like, "Hey, please get out of Dodge, or else you know you're going to get you're going to get killed by these gangsters because they have the ends with us and they have the product protection. Um and so yeah, pretty pretty easy theme there, but um, I, I don't think it's it's meant to be very complicated. Um, <laughs> one interesting uh, thing that came up a few times was, I think early on Costner's like it was good to be married, huh? And then like he says it again later, and I just kind of thought that was just a, a cheesy throwaway throwaway line that kind of was recurring. I also thought his uh, his wife was kind of a uh, kind of um not there wasn't much to her. Um, I think every time she came up, it was just kind of this cheesy um, family factor stuff that came in on the side. Uh, yeah, she was she was kind of a useless character. Like,
1: she was even, uh, in the credits, was just Nessa's wife. Not even Mrs. Ness, just Nessa's wife. Uh-huh. She didn't have yeah. a name. So, which, maybe if we want to, like, parallel it back to a movie that, obviously, like we were talking I brought up um, Gangster Squad, which clearly took some, was inspired by this movie, at least, um, Josh Brolin, I think it was Josh. Josh Brolin's wife, at least, you know, it was like help pick out the team and you know, yeah, she was hey, keep him in movie. check. Yeah, she actually did shit. So um,
0: the next thing I wanted to hit was, um, so did you see that? Uh, you know, so Inyo um, Mor- Morikone, um did the score for this. Who is a you know well known for our uh, you know, good, the bad, and the ugly, and those westerns and stuff.
1: Ah, okay. Well, yeah. I still need. Watch the, they've been talking uh, about it the whole year. So I was gonna watch. We're gonna watch Yo Jinbo into the dollars Trilogy, and it still uh, hasn't happened. Because
0: so terrible. Um.
1: And yeah. Then, you so know,
0: he, also- he. So he did the uh, the real big uh, vibrant score for this. Um. I especially like the opening credits, the um, the kind of thing where you see like the um the graphics of the Untouchables come out. That was really cool but man, there are some cheesy moments in here too. Like I remember there's a scene where like Kevin Costner's on this bridge right after like they make this bust, but like they find um, umbrellas instead of booze. And it's this this hardcore saxophone going, just making it really cheesing it up with how miserable this guy feels. Um, and then there's this heroic theme that they play. Like once... Kind of the band gets together for the very first time, and they go and do a liquor bust at this post office. Is this, this really? And and we'll kind of get into cheesy music a little bit later on with uh, Rudy. But um, it's it's pretty like this heroic anthem of the good guys, you know, getting work done, and it it's a little corny. Um, any thoughts on you know me kind of picking on this movie in terms of it being a little a uh, little bit? Hollywood
1: or cheesy? I mean, I'm a, I'm a little surprised because uh, I know how you feel about a, another De Palma movie, which granted, I haven't seen in a long time, but that's because I haven't had a desire to watch it. And I think this movie is uh, like way better than that movie. Um, and I think if you think if you think this movie is cheesy, like that movie is much cheesier. Um, but um, I also and that's Scarface. Okay. Um, um, but I, like both of those, both, both of these movies apparently, um, have a lot of love from like late eighties and early nineties rappers and They both love Scarface. And then this, this song has some, uh or not the song, this movie, or at least Elliot Ness has some mention from, uh, Dr. Dre and a Tupac song. Um, so, you know, they both, uh, you know, both, you know, these guys love the gangsters. Um,
0: I wouldn't really consider Scarface cheesy, per se, but he definitely, like, plays up um, some of the stylistic things he likes to do. Like, in Scarface, what he likes to do a lot is, like, do this, like, drifting camera thing. Like, for instance, there's a scene, like, where all this mat- this chaos is going on in this hotel room, and all of a sudden he just kind of slowly pushes the camera out the window down onto the street and sees that his buddies are in the car. Then he does it all the way back up to see the chaos in the... The room to kind of show this passage of time. So he definitely is very showy with his style there. Um,
1: I just think that movie could be shorter, and it would it would it would be a lot better if it was shorter. Probably, I just
0: that was I, probably I was one the, of my biggest that was one of my biggest complaints recently watching it too. Is it is a little dragged out with his whole climb to the top. It doesn't feel that way the first time you see it, but the on repeated viewings, it's definitely a little dragged out. I agree. Um. um
1: and then one of the other scenes, like you're you're talking about the scene with the baseball bat, like actually, all um, well, that scene was actually very well done because you know he kind of gives you like, hey, fat. He's talking about all, you know Ty Cobb and Babe Ruth. You know, obviously, two of the biggest baseball players of all time, and you know, especially in that era, you know they're humongous stars. You know, they're gods at that point. And you know he's talking about teamwork and this big motivational speech, and he's got this camera work. You know, kind of nice and tied in on him as he's you know, he's just being. This very chas- charismatic and you know, everyone's in on him and they just, you know, slugs this dude in the back of the head. And you don't really see the, you know, the bat hit, you know, you know, some of the movies today are again, something where I was mentioning, you know, Brawl and Cell 99 where you might actually see the skull caked in, but then you just see the blood kind of running on the table. Yeah, um, great. but you get the, you get the, you get the point across it, you know, um, cause it wasn't, but maybe a scene or two earlier where he's like, I don't hire. You know, people who do violence—it's bad for business. And then you, you obviously—you know—he's full of, you know, full of crap. Right. But mm-hmm. then you know, you just see it firsthand, and you're just like, you know, this was—that was, that was a, a, a really, really good scene in the movie. Um, um but, I, th- I think the only scene, like, the thing I thought was kind of silly was when they go to Canada and they've got this yeah. bridge that the, the the bridge between America and Canada, and there's no. You know, the way we see you know the the border patrol now, you know, there's you know where everyone crosses, and obviously this is in the Midwest, so maybe a little black so there's just a random cabin, like a hundred feet, a hundred yards, whatever it is from the border, and these people are going out to do this deal, and they're like, oh, there's a cabin over here, I don't care about this cabin. That's completely ordinary. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was funny, I was just about to my about the last little Hollywood. Uh, campy factor that I was going to bring up was the, is definitely the the peak of this is the Canadian um, Mountie scene. Just them, like, going all Kevin Costner western all of a sudden in this movie. Um, this is, like, the main scene I remember um, from when, the first time I watched this, and it's really, really <laughs> cheesy with them riding their horses into battle, and all of a sudden the Mounties come out, and it's really kind of cheesy. But um, One cool part of it is how, like, Honory shows that edge with forcing that guy to um, you know, cave in and tell him tell him what's up after they um blow the the guy's head off that was already dead. So that was showing, you know, the lengths he would go in order to um really do whatever it took to uh take down um the bootleggers. Yeah, that was pretty slick. Um, I really wanted to get into um how much I noticed these really extreme camera angles. Like the Palma like goes like Way, way with these extreme camera angles and it's it's pretty cool like I like the establishing shot that shows uh capone um like getting a shave or whatever, and it's from an overhead shot and it zooms into him and introduces him as a de Niro, and that's really sweet um or awesome, I should say um and then later on, especially in the courtroom scene, there's like these these shots where like I guess the Palma like must have had like the camera on the floor and he's like shooting straight up like Costner's nose almost and you're like, whoa, that's that's like the angle, but it's 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 almost just to kind of show off like how awesome this this, this building looks. Um what's all that you hearing all that rustling around? Oh uh, sorry,
1: that was me going to a different Site real quick to look for something.
0: Okay, no worries. Um, yeah, so I thought the the extreme camera angles um, was kind of a cool, a little uh, stylistic thing. Um, definitely noticeable um, when I was just watching it back through a little while ago before we started. I noticed you kind of did the same thing earlier. Whenever Connery and um, Costner are sitting there in the church, and you see like the big architecture, um, like the ceiling of ceiling of that place um, in the background. You know, because it's kind of a low camera angle. So, um, got that. Um, what did you think of the... Uh, oh, bless you. Thank you. Uh, what do you think of the uh, the shootout on the stairs? Shootout on the stairs. Yeah, so it starts off where I guess they're going to try to um, get Al Capone's uh, bookkeeper... And I know he's going to be going through this train station. And (laughs) this baby is like whining. And Kostner keeps looking at this baby. And he's like, finally, oh, yeah, I'm the Boy Scout. I got to go help this lady out. Then all of a sudden, the gangsters come in. And we go into slow motion as the baby slowly goes down the stairs. And there's awesome shooting. (laughs) All right.
1: So... They could have not dragged out the baby crying for a hundred years, yeah, and that would have been cool, because that was the, the baby cried for a hundred million years, and then you know, the baby's falling down the stairs, falling down the stairs. And everyone's like shooting at the baby, and then it lands on top of Andy Garcia, and the, the one gangsters like, "I'm gonna shoot this dude either. We're leaving with him, I'm leaving with him, or he's dying. he's not telling anything. And then you know Andy Garcia's got the baby carriage,
0: and you know of course he's the crack shot, so he shoots him in the head. you yeah, know, that was that, a great that was a great payoff to that scene, is is getting that callback to um, Andy Garcia being the uh, sharpshooter.
1: Yeah, I mean that was that was cool, but the the baby crying like I was literally just like, what, what what the hell? Like, and I mean I knew that once soon as he went down there that that meant that all hell was about to break loose. But it was just like that was like I, I wanted something else that was the build or, you know, they could have cut that was one that they could have cut in half. It would have only saved like a minute or two. But that like that just felt like it was for
0: I need to go back and watch uh, Battleship Potemkin again. That's a very famous old Russian movie that was, I guess, I think his, the, guy, the name of the director was like Sergei Eisenstein, but he's known to be the creator of Montage, and he has a really um, famous w- sequence in that movie called The Odessa Stairs. And I need to go back and probably compare these two sequences and see if De Palma was like doing a callback to that, because um, I have a feeling that probably is the case. But... um I need to do some research on that before I can confirm. Yeah, that's but, that's on one of my
1: lists to watch actually is Battleship Potemkin, my uh big around the world list.
0: Sweet. Um, okay, so yeah, I got all my campy stuff out of the way. Let's talk about the the really awesome parts about this movie that made me uh, rated at four. Um so the girl blowing up at the very beginning. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. Oh yeah,
1: that was I mean, that was awesome. It was also like like you know, she goes to pick up the bag. And I'm like, they are not gonna kill this little girl. And oh, yeah, they sure enough bombed bombed that little girl. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, there. So the um, Palma is really known for his for his early um, horror stuff. And the whole sequence where the the gangsters like creeping through the hotel route or the the apartment really slowly from a point of view shot and like kind of looking around corners for uh, Connery. That's definitely a call back to some of his early horror stuff. So you had that element thrown in there. Um and yeah, seeing uh, Connery gun down with the Tommy gun. Um definitely a little bloody there. <laughs> and he's definitely die hard. He's crawling all around that apartment bloody as hell, but he's he's still going and so I saw this part twi- part twice where like he's grabbing at this little key that's on a chain. To, did you ever really get what was going on with this little this trinket of his?
1: Um, like it had, like I, I, it had a key. It had something else. Like it wasn't like a rosary or anything. But I'm not hundred percent sure what it was. It was some sort of memento that you know Costner ended up with, and then of course he gave to Andy Garcia. And I just, wait, uh, get a second. I just remembered, like my one hundred percent biggest the thing that bothered me, like, arced me the most about this movie, but we can get to that in a second. Okay. Yeah.
0: I mentioned the baseball. bat uh, team was pretty sweet. Um, yeah. Oh, and then um, whenever, you know, you really come to kind of like this uh, accountant guy that's on the team who's, like, trying to tell Kevin Costner desperately, we can get Al Compone on these money charges if we can find out a, a way to connect it, and Kevin Costner seems to almost like be ignoring him, and then Eventually, he finally comes around, and then unfortunately, you know, you kind of, you kind of, um just, you become. I mean, he's kind of the nerdy guy on the team, but he's really enduring, But then, he unfortunately gets blasted in the elevator in this very bloody scene where, um, what the guy writes on the wall that this, he was touchable. Um, oh, that, that's that I forgot this part earlier. That my last bad thing I'll say about this movie is the the scene where the the super bad gangster um, falling off the roof, the, the special yep. effects in that were <laughs> it was especially pretty
1: cheesy there. Okay, well, um, I'm going to tie into that. So it wasn't necessarily the special effects so much, but um, so Kevin Costner, you know, they throw him off the roof, and he lands in the car, mm-hmm. and dude asking where it was. And so Kevin Costner's been the straight-lived guy the whole movie, and it's in this super intense scene, and they go, where is such and such? I don't remember his name. And he's like, he's in the car. And it, I get it was supposed to be this, you know, he was trying to come off, you know, very glib in this scene that was, and it was supposed to kind of lift the mood, but it just, to me, it just felt like it didn't fit. It was very out of place. And it it really irked me. Like it bothered me. Not like, oh, that's out of place. Like it actually just fucking bothered me. um, Like immensely. Like there's another spot at the end of the movie where he cracks a joke, you know, like, Hey, I hear the repeal re- and prohibition. What are you going to do? And he's like, I'll have a drink like that fit because, you know, he made the whole thing about this is the late It's a harmless drink, but it's the law. And that's what we're going to do. Well, now it's against the law. I'm going to have a drink like that fit. But that whole, that, that whole thing where, yeah, it just really
0: hurt me. Yeah. That was essentially going to be my final point. There was um, the whole, the fact that it didn't matter what, how they were breaking the law. It was that they were breaking the law and that was the, the the bottom of the line of his character and you know Connery really showed him how to push it to the extreme in order to get the job done um, and the last two things I'll say is I'll reiterate the period that set design was was pretty great in this movie and then I also really like the scene where Capone's watching this opera singer and it shows like the opera singer and half the screen kind of belting out a note and then like Capone kind of like crying on the other side of the screen I thought that was a, a pretty cool um, moment as well. Um, yeah. Um, any final, what were your final thoughts on um, The Untouchables? Um, I, I gave it four.
1: I thought it, I thought it was really good. Um, like I said, that one scene really, really kind of irked me. And even though it was really good, I thought there was a couple spots where it was kind of, kind of a little bit slow, but hmm. I, I thought it was really like a, a, a good, really good movie. I would, I would, you know, if someone wanted to watch it again, I'd be down to watch it again. I wouldn't have any problems with it. Um, great acting, um, good violence, all that good stuff.
0: Sweet. Yeah, I was um, definitely glad that I enjoyed it uh, more this time than I did previously. Um, like I've gone on and on and on about the Hollywood silliness, um, and it's almost in there to a comical level, So, it, so to an extent it's enjoyable. I enjoyed all the um, the grittiness and the stylistic elements. So, yeah, it's a, I thought it was an excellent um, the Palma flick. Uh, definitely more palatable uh, than some of his other ones and are um, mainstream, I should say. And yeah, it's it's been an interesting ride, really zooming through all these um, the Palma flicks. I would recommend for you um, to watch in the near future. Blowout with John Travolta um, is an interesting one. And I think one of my favorite ones is actually called The Phantom of the Par- Paradise, which is just crazy in general. But um, those are the two ones I, I would point out.
1: I added a whole bunch to my to my watch list. Like I clicked
0: on him and I was like, oh, I've
1: seen like six of his movies, which I was kind of surprised by. But like the the main one that's on from him that's on my list is Carlito's Way. This is, I I've just never seen that and I've wanted to see that for a while. So
0: yeah, me too. I um yeah, I need to get to that one. Um, yeah. Okie doke. So uh yeah, four stars from me. Uh and yeah, we definitely uh talked that one up. So our final movie of the night, uh Joey uh, challenged me to rewatch Rudy. And um I'll let you uh you wanna let's see, I'll, I'll read the synopsis here first. Uh, I, so I got it. Is it. oh okay. Yeah. Uh Rudy is a
1: 1993 American biographical sports film directed by David Anslaw. It is an account of life of Daniel Rudy Rudiger, who harbored dreams of playing football at the University of Notre Dame despite significant obstacles. It was the first film that Notre Dame administration allowed to be shot on campus since Newt Rockne, All-American, in 1940. Um, In 2005, Rudy was named one of the best 25 sports movies of the previous 25 years in two polls by ESPN. Um, it was ranked the 54th most inspiring film of all time in the AFI 100 Years series. Um, it released October 15, 1993 by Tristar. It stars Sean Aston as the title character, along with Ned Beatty, Jason Miller, and Charles F. Dutton. Um, mm-hmm. The script was written by Angelo Pizzo, who created Hoosers, which came out in 1986, mm-hmm. um, which was also directed by Anne Spa. and the film was shot in Illinois and Indiana, which Indiana is obviously where Notre Dame is. Right.
0: Cool. I was kind of surprised. So you gave this one a three and a half. I'm kind of eager to hear uh, where your reasoning for that. Um. On um the, uh, well, uh, okay. Go ahead. Oh. Uh, part
1: of that is an unfortunately, um, like I got a phone call in the middle of the movie. I had to pause the movie to like go pick up my roommate, and then like I had people messaging me, and so just it kind of goes like right in the middle. It got kind of got lamb job. Like uh, a lot of stuff happened and So, I mean, I thought it was really good still. It just, uh, it just wasn't, I think maybe I just missed some stuff somewhere with a bunch of other stuff happening, like going on. And I didn't get a chance today to like, kind of go back and like cover over that stuff. Um, and then, like, like I said, in my review, there was, uh, Like, there just wasn't as much football as I was expecting, I guess. Um, Because, you know, in the cover, you know, he's football players on the front, you know, it's about, you know, playing at Notre Dame. And I knew that, you know, he wasn't going to get to play until the very end of the movie. Like, I mean, I knew the general premise, but I didn't know everything quite that it was going
0: to entail. Oh, yeah, definitely a huge lead up to that. now, I had seen this kind of like chunks of it. I, I remember when it like first hit like home video and uh, came on TV some. So I watched small chunks of it then. I don't think I watched it all the way through until high school. Um, but the only real part I remembered about this movie was him up on like the um, whatever he gets up on a stool and like recites that famous speech. So that was definitely like my one lasting memory of this beyond the fact that the, just the basic Rudy story in general. Um, in my letterbox review, I already posted up kind of a just a short blip on what I thought of it, and I was basically said if you don't get inspired by this movie, you better uh, check your pulse because this is uh, inspiration through and through and through and through. The the ultimate underdog story. Even the Catholic priest at his high school saying, "Rudy, you're not going to amount to nothing, so you don't need to go see Notre Dame right now." Um, really, oh yeah, by. what a what a douche canoe. <laughs> Uh, it really typified, um, you know, middle of America, steel workers, you know, these guys, um, you know, they, they grow up in the town, they go to work in the steel mill, and that's where they die. But, you know, Rudy, he had big dreams of um, going to play uh, for Notre Dame. I mean, he even has a girl, um, you know, that he could easily settle down with and they could get into a house or whatever. But he's like, no, I've, and that wasn't bringing me one of my later points, the fact that but he's in the steel mill for like four years before he ever goes off to junior college to try to get into Notre Dame. And I can't imagine like working that long before going back to college. And man, this movie, I mean, he really, it beats him down every single step of the way. And he is just fighting it tooth and nail. And it's so inspirational. Um, And it's almost to the point where at the end, like during all the football stuff, like you're almost like, Oh gosh, how much more can we take of this guy, you know, getting raw deals every step of the way? But then that football element comes in and really it amps back up my um excitement for this character once again and uh ended on a really great note. Um I guess I wanted one of the big things I wanted to talk about was uh Jerry Goldsmith's score just based on it. It's a great score, but it is so repetitive. It's like going through this whole movie of keep hearing this thing this tune over and over and over and it sounds great throughout but definitely by the end of it you're like oh I do not want to hear that anymore um I'll let you jump back in just so I can gain my feet uh footing back on uh what I wanted to talk about with this one
1: all right yeah so you know like you were saying you know he's everyone just beats down on him you know you got the um The the, the kind of the big iconic quote I think you know from the end or near the end is, "Look at you! You're five feet nothing, and you weigh a hundred and nothing, and with hardly a speck of athletic ability." Um, You know, from the from the guy he'd been working with. You know, when he had when he had finally finally broken and had quit the scout team, and uh, you know that was the kind of the speech that got him back in. It's uh like you said, it's just if you don't get motivated. The the thing that got me was, you know, when he stood up on that chair and he recited the the speech that you know he had recited when he was a kid, and that was that was really cool. You you saw just how much he loved Notre Dame and how much people in that area, you know, back then loved Notre Dame. You know, now yeah, Notre Dame's big again, but you know, like we were talking about, you know, you have a hundred ways to watch football now. You can watch any team that you want. It's not just Notre Dame up in the North Midwest, Oklahoma, and then Texas and USC out west, and Mm -hmm. you know. I guess, you know, Boston College in the Northeast or, you know, whoever it is up there. And then, you know, you know, Georgia Tech, Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, you know, whoever it is down here, you know, it's not just regional. You have, you have everybody. So, you know, back then it was, you know, that was, that was your ways of life. And it was such a, it's such a big deal, especially also if you're a Catholic, you know, it was Notre Dame and that was, it was a big deal and you could tell just how important it was, especially when his buddy, you know, who ended up dying in that accident, got him that, that Letterman jacket. I guess it wasn't a Letterman jacket but the Letterman style jacket, um, for Notre Dame. And then, you know, like he said he, he had the girl and the, the thing that kinda irked me was she's like, I've paid my dues, you owe me and I was just like, No. Like he's you know, no. Um, and you know, she ends up like married to his brother when he goes off to school and, you know, his brother's a douche. Um,
0: well, the older one wasn't the, the I guess the, the younger uh, or the middle kid. Um, that was going to be one of my next points was the fact that I do like the thematic element to where like Rudy is like, like you said, he's like, he has no like ability, but he keeps trying and he achieves where his like brother, like does have a lot of abilities but he's, like, not motivated at all to do anything, and he doesn't go anywhere. So I like that contrast yeah. between the two characters. When they had,
1: the, and so they had the bar fight, and it was like, yeah, you know what Coach told me, where where it's his brother and his best friend, and it's like his best friend's like, you know, Coach told me if you had the heart of Rudy, you would have been all conference, but you don't like to be hit. You're just a pussy. And it's like, and then, you know, they, they kind of do the little callback where he gets the second coach at Notre Dame, I think it was the second coach during his senior season, or maybe it was the, maybe when it was talking about trying to get the promised day to play mm-hmm. with the first coach, and he's like, dude, if I had your heart in my player's body,
0: yeah, you know, he's just, the yeah, so, he's the priest from the exorcist, if you remember <laughs> that. Um, nice. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, one of the, the, little subplots there that I really enjoyed was how, like, Rudy, like, he would go out on the football field and give it, like, a hundred per 110% because he had to. He'd get the shit totally knocked out of him by these huge hog molly guys. And, you know, after a while, they're just, like, looking at him. It's like, dude, you're, you're making us look bad. And he's like, no, I'm getting you ready, and I have to do this in order to be here where, I mean, you guys can slough it and still be there. And so I, I I've known people throughout my life where, you know, they have that driven motivation where they're 110% all the time. And they're like, oh, man, this guy's making me look bad. But you kind of admire him for uh, really pushing the envelope there and and making the people around him better, which is definitely what Rudy was all about. And there were some really good scenes where, um, like, it it showed him around, like, Holy Cross, like, conversing with girls or whatever. And he was a real likable guy, too. So it was not only his drive, but also his personality um, that really carried him far and what he was trying to
1: achieve. And, um, just go ahead. when, when, when did he have all the time? He was, he was working the grounds crew. He was going to school. He was, then he was on the, 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 you know, the, on the, when he switched, he just, he, he, it was, there was one point in time where it was like, where does he have the time to do all this? Cause he, he was working the grounds crew. He was going to school. He was trying to get Vince Vaughn laid. Um, not Vince Vaughn, um, John,
0: John Favreau.
1: Favreau, excuse me. Um, he was trying to be on the booster squad so he could paint the helmet. Like mm-hmm. it was just like this dude is like drinking Red Bull before Red Bull existed. I think mean, we made the joke that his blood is Red Bull.
0: Um, yeah, he like nonstop. Um, absolutely, yeah. It's, and a lot of and there's a couple elements that kind of get thrown by the wayside. Like he has this kind of relationship that kind of starts up with this Notre Dame girl that's like in charge of the booster club or whatever, and that kind of goes nowhere. I think that kind of caps off with her. Like, he's finally on the football team. He's like, hey, you know, look at and I, I made it or whatever. So, yeah, some of the rom- romantic stuff kind of gets thrown by the wayside. But, I mean, guys are here to see an inspirational sports movie. So, I didn't give – I didn't dock it too much for, um, you know, not you know, falling through with every uh, plot thread. Um, yeah. Have you ever seen Swingers before? Swingers? No, I haven't seen Swingers that's like John Favreau and Vince Vaughn's breakout movie together and I'm wondering if they might have met on the set of this before uh, filming that a few years later so um, definitely the swingers connection going on here um, I guess this is uh, based on I, so I definitely know this is based on a true story but I did like some like the realistic um plot beats like he keeps applying to college and applying to college and he keeps getting turned down and keeps getting turned down and that's that's pretty realistic um Speaking of like how he has the energy to do this, I'm like wonder where is he sleeping before he gets the key to uh sleep in the uh the equipment room? Not sure there maybe it's the park bench or the library who knows um, I mean, he was he was like sneaking in through the window well before that though that was, he didn't he didn't have the key the whole time. I think it was just there was after he was there a little while he finally unlocked the window, and I think there was a period of time before he he got that access. Or maybe that, that all. Happened. I, think
1: was just, I think it was just breaking in.
0: <laughs> okay, that makes sense. I mean, it all happened so fast. It it, it it wouldn't surprise me if it that was just part of it. Um, Robert Prosky's in this movie. He's the kind of the nice priest that gets him into the junior college and kind of talks him up to the um, the admissions board. I also remember him from uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. He's a He's a real sweet guy to see on screen. I enjoyed seeing him. Um, Really liked his relationship with the maintenance guy. Although, I kind of got the... Like, you were saying that you really enjoyed his speech whenever he was in the room with the maintenance guy. But did you ever catch on... There was, like, a few moments where it was almost, like, kind of an awkward, like, are you really doing this again, kid, with, you know, dreaming about playing football here when I need you to help me kind of thing. Did you ever pick... Oh, yeah, for sure. But then,
1: like... he you know, when he's looking around at first, but then when he starts going into the speech, you know, you see him give it that kind of smile and, you know, he just knows that yeah. this is the, the kid dreaming big, but like just, you know, I like, I like some t- certain callbacks and that was a, that was a good callback that, you know, he was, you know, he remembered that speech from when he was a kid and just, you know, he finally was there and was able to do it.
0: And, yeah, I definitely right. agree. Um, kind of started off awkward, but eventually he won him over in that aspect. Um, cool to see a lot of the, the Notre Dame traditions, uh, like the band and like the, the people in the kilts doing the high step and stuff. That was all pretty sweet uh, to see. Um, now, I had a question for you. Did this movie, and you alluded to it a little while ago, did the fact that this movie being in, about Notre Dame hinder your enjoyment at all?
1: No, no, no. Like, I, you know, Notre Dame's not my team, but, you know, like, it wouldn't have, I mean, this movie could have, could have been about Alabama or, you know, whatever, and it wouldn't have affected it. It could have been about South Carolina, it wouldn't affect, or Ohio State, like, you know, whatever. Um, that didn't really have anything to do with it, you know. When it, when it comes, like, I, I love college football. So, like, even the teams that I detest, um, and, you know, like, I don't just hate Notre Dame because they're a blue blood team, you know, you know, whatever. That didn't really have anything to do with it. It's just, you know, I hate that. They're Notre Dame and they get their ranking. They don't play in a conference and they're just they're just ranked because they're Notre fucking name and it's like, but you know this this you know we're gonna go to it this season. They're pretty decent, have a good game against Georgia. So whatever. Um, but yeah, you know they just they just have clout from
0: 40 years ago, 30 years yeah, ago. absolutely. And that's my main beef with them now is the fact that I think they should join, like, the ACC and be a part of a conference. I mean, they don't have to because they have this big TV contract with um, NBC. But at the same time, like, you'll be sitting there and maybe, like, Georgia-Alabama will be on CBS Game of the Week. And, like, maybe Florida uh, State-Clemson will be over on ESPN. And then you go over to NBC and it's like, in today's feature game, we have the Notre dame Fire Irish against New Mexico. You know, like, well, this is your game of the week, and it's like nothing. And I don't know. That just bugs me that, like, no matter who they're playing, they're on this like grand stage, and um, and it it and it goes right back to that that history of you know everybody in that area of the country if you're a Catholic especially, um, or in Notre Dame football. Um, I have fa- I have uh, family members on my wife's side who are Purdue fans, and I've heard them totally. <laughs> Mac talk, uh, Notre Dame, because how much they they can't stand them. And there's that moment early on where the guy's like, "Mr. Rudabagger, can we watch some of the uh, Hoosiers and um, Boilermakers?" And he's like, "No, we watch Notre Dame here." <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, yeah, and and going go to my question, yeah, I think that this could have been any school, and I think I would have still found it as inspirational and interesting. Although that that Notre Dame campus is is pretty beautiful. Uh, beautifully shot throughout, and it's cool to see those traditions. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, for so much tradition throughout college football, like it'll probably work anywhere. I mean, for a movie, yeah, you want
1: like the big tradition. Um, I, I thought it was really interesting when they showed, you know, and I know back in, when we were in college together, we played one of the NCAA football games. I don't know how much you keep up with it, but you know, like, you know, they showed Notre Dame and they show all their undefeated or nat- natty seasons or the signs and it was real interesting then to see just how how many less there were then versus you know when Joe Montana showed up and you know through the 80s and I think they got a couple like in the early 90s they had those couple of games with the with Florida State and stuff that were really big and it was, it was real interesting to see that was the thing that I noticed and what have you um you know it was a lot different um but you know just you know, you want to see in in movies. You know, having a tradition rich school would be would, would be a thing. It's not necessary. I mean, because I picked that over We Are Marshall. Um, mm-hmm. just no particular reason. Just um, actually, I I think I rolled a dice or flipped a coin actually, because that was the two I picked between. So,
0: okay, cool. That's yeah. I don't think I've seen We Are Marshall since the hit home video. Um, I have a thought. Um. I'm uh yeah i I thought it was a five star affair it, it had me um feeling totally fantastic oh this that was my thought um you had kind of said that you were wishing there was more football i was kinda i really felt rewarded when we finally did hit the football scenes uh like a little bit past the hour mark because it was that that constant grind ooh, and that reminds me of a really one of my favorite points um I think my favorite shot of the whole film was whenever, like, Rudy finally gets into Notre Dame and he tries to get into a game. Or maybe this is when he's at Holy Cross. Anyways, the best shot of the whole movie for me is when it shows Rudy walking all by himself on the outside of the stadium, and it pans up to show, like, all these people on the inside and just him on the outside and showing that, that kind of summing the whole movie up in, in this one shot about basically it was the whole world against him and he wanted a fight to be, you know, included as well. And um and brings me to another point, the fact that, you know, he does get beat down by these guys over and over and over again. And that really gains him the respect of these massive Hog Molly um players who do uh, you know, call for him to get his due at the very end and that's you know very heartwarming. I wonder what how Georgia Tech fans feel when watching this.
1: Um well, see, like that's a that's a really good scene, and you know the guys like you're a captain, act like it. You're all American. He's like, I am acting like a captain, and I I thought that was really good. But it's like, you know, he had, and granted, he had the the deal with the previous coach, but you know, like, where where was that when they're playing Air Force in the first game, or you know, Holy Cross, or you know, whatever deep, you know. Football championship subdivision, as it's called now, team that you know they would have probably played in game two, or you know whoever it was that they were playing, you know a cupcake, as it were, um, mm-hmm. that you know they could have been like, hey, I'm gonna give up my spot here, which you know would have been less meaningful and you know the less of the feels for the movie of it per se, because yeah. as much as it was a build up and a great payoff as it was, that is one of one of the things I had a little bit of an issue with. Was it was just it felt like, okay, I get it he's beat down. He's beat down. Everything is an obstacle. Everything is an obstacle. Nothing's breaking his way. And it was just over, over, over and over and over. And I, you know, like I get it. Like it, it it just beating down. Like at that point, it was, it it felt like it was just beating a dead horse to a, to a certain degree. But I I want to say one of the things that, um, it, it was really, it was really interesting to see, you know, there's the one scene where he's, uh, like he's walking through all the guys and they're in their shoulder pads and he's just in his jacket he's so much smaller than him. And I'm just like, Oh, he's a hobbit. And it just, <laughs> um, and I was like, you know, it really, you know, really tied home. But, you know, you know, most people, maybe, not, maybe I'm a weird person who really, really only know him from, um, from being Samwise and then, you know, about being on stranger things. But, you know, I equate it that way and there's probably a lot of other people who equate him oh he was small and rudy and then he was small and um the lord of the rings trilogy <laughs> but um it was kind of a yeah. weird parallel so don't for, uh don't forget him from the
0: goonies as well he's the main. well goonies. yes
1: yeah he was in the goonies but i was pretty young <laughs> i didn't, didn't know that until
0: i was doing some research i was like oh yeah he was in that uh <laughs> Yeah, I've seen that a couple times in the last couple of years. Um, yeah, and it's kind of neat to – this. This, I guess this takes place in the 70s, right? So it's kind of neat to see kind of the old-school look of, like, 70s football going on. It's definitely evolved and gotten more flashy these days to where it used to be, down in the dirt, uh, grass stain. Um, definitely had more of that field gritty football. Yeah, I, I did like that the um,
1: – you know, they were, like, screw-taking the knee – we're going to run this play and get in. And then the play that they ran was a half-back pass, which, you know, was like a, a big – I mean, which now is still kind of a razzle-dazzle play. But, you know, especially then, that was the razzle-dazzle play. And then, you know, he gets in and, you know, we're like, oh, he, he got one play, one sack. It's like, man, he played him the whole season. What would have happened?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know. One person on my so, letterbox commented that Rudy was offside. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Um, I mean the score was 24 to 3 like what
0: is what, like, what does it matter like, yeah with the clock ticking down for sure um, yeah and we don't get to see much from that um, yeah he definitely had that agreement with the previous coach who he got in good with but that was almost kind of a, another realistic thing the fact that you do like get favor with a certain person and they end up leaving and then you know what are you left with and you don't really get to see much of the character of the new coach, which is kind of pretty atypical football coach as well. Um, so, yeah, and my final thoughts there. Another thing, um,
1: so I don't remember how much you remember of Varsity Blues, um, but so near, near the end of – maybe not the end, but there's a scene in Varsity Blues where um, the black running backs, like, yeah, uh, John Voight – character never lets me score. I'm the workhorse. I get all the yards, but I only have like two touchdowns because I broke them off. But he lets the white boy, we get in close and he, he scores home. So, you know, they audible the play, um, uh, mocks, you know, Vanderbeek's character audibles to play. And, you know, it was a little bit different situation, but, you know, basically the quarterback's like, screw it. I'm going to audible to play to, to do this for such and such character. And it's kind of like, kind of reminded me of that a little bit, you know, and I don't necessarily know if they took inspiration, from a movie that was, you know, five, about five years, six years previous, but, you know, it seems like it could have been like, hey, they were like, screw the coach, we're going to do what we want, and then you're like, screw the coach, we're going to do what we want, so it was a little, little, you know, parallel in my head there, so.
0: Okay. Cool. Um, yeah, I definitely, uh, glad you had me watch this again, yeah, I had a smile pretty much the entire time watching this, it was, made me feel pretty good, um, so Yeah. Uh, Rudy's a five star affair for me just based on how good it makes me feel not necessarily um, consistency with some of the, the the story elements that it does drop along the way well, I'm very glad you enjoyed it good sir alright so the next challenge movie um, so we're coming up into the Halloween season so I thought yeah I definitely want to come up with um, something a little uh, kind of with some horror elements to it um, now this is a movie I fell in love with a long, long time ago. Um, haven't seen it in a long time, um, but I would like to revisit and hopefully uh, show for you for the first time, unless you just haven't marked it on Letterbox. Uh, I want to watch uh, The Cube or Cube from 1997. It's a sci-fi horror, low-budget film. Yeah, no, I don't.
1: If I've seen it, I don't remember seeing it. I don't even think I remember that by name. So you so it was called The Cube.
0: Yeah, Cube from 1997, um, low-budget sci-fi horror. Um, yeah, I've had some pretty interesting experiences watching this through the years. I remember watching it with a group of guys in college and them all having all different like reactions to it. Um, I was looking at it a little bit on Letterboxd recently, and a lot of people were smashing it. So um, it'll be interesting to see if I, I think it still holds up, and uh, hopefully you enjoy it. Um, Acting's not great, but I think it's the premise that really sells this one. So, uh, our challenge movie for, for next time, uh, Cube from 1997. Check it out if you want to be a part of the club. And uh, what is our uh, big movie, our big feature movie from my list next week? Mr. Porter.
1: All right. So, to continue with the uh, Halloween horror theme, so I, uh, uh, I was looking through trying to figure some stuff out, and... Uh, I had the one I thought I was going to pick, and then I saw that we had um, one of the horror masters himself on here. Uh, I think it's one of the lowest or known movies, but uh, it's going to be In the Mouth of Madness from 1994
0: by Mr. John Carpenter. Yeah, um, I've been watching that for a long time, and <laughs> actually been putting it off just because of this list now, so uh, it's, it's time. Sam Elliott from uh, Jurassic Park, I think, stars in it.
1: Sam Neill.
0: Sam Neil, ah, not Sam Elliott, not
1: not the cowboy with the giant mustache <laughs> that's in a bunch of things, including the ranch, but uh, yeah, Sam Neil. Yeah, yeah, Sam Neil, who is in Jurassic Park. You're
0: correct. All right. All right. Thanks so much to everyone uh, that's following the show, and make sure to join the club and subscribe and um, send us an email, send us some questions. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And how can they do that? Enjoy at
1: TheAverageMovieJoe'sClubCast at gmail.com. That's it. All
0: right. It was a blast talking with you tonight. And um, let's wrap it up. Have a movie watching, everybody. Cold. Good night, everybody. Thank you so much. I can stop sucking. Talk to you later. Bye. <laughs>